Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today's show is looking at a challenge that First Nation elders never had to deal with historically, but it's now something so important that we need to pay special attention to it. We're speaking about the whole area of the Internet and cybersecurity, the bearing it could have on your health, the health of your children, the health of your loved ones. We have an expert to help us in today's dialogue. His name is Eduardo Campos. Eduardo, great to have you with us. Thank you, Dr. David. This is really a pleasure. Eduardo, you are someone whose name is not a strange name in cybersecurity circles, but for those who are tuning in today and maybe haven't worked in that area, tell us a little bit about yourself. I live in Seattle with my wife in a bulldog, and I've been working with uh, cybersecurity for over 25 years. spent uh, about 14 years in the Brazilian Army. I'm originally from Brazil, living in Seattle for over 10 years. And uh, I had the pleasure of working in large organizations, uh, Embraer, that Boeing is buying uh, in just recent weeks, um, Bell Canada in Brazil, PwC, a large consulting firm, and my last 13 years uh, in Microsoft. Um, and I have my own company, consulting company, for the last two years. Wow, tremendous. So basically, you definitely have the credentials to talk with us today about being safe on the Internet. And I think when we speak about safety, Edward, I'll just be honest with you. If, if you want to grab people's attention, whether it's an Indian country or anywhere, you start talking about the safety of our children and our grandchildren. Because even in areas that used to be fairly remote, it seems like kids find ways, whether it's through the cell phone, whether it's in schools, they're on the internet, and we hear these horror stories about children who are duped, they're deceived on the internet, and get into all kinds of trouble, maybe even threatening their lives. Tell us, first of all, what we need to know as parents and grandparents when it relates to our children and the internet. It's very important for us parents to be together with our kids and have open conversations about where are they are going in, in the Internet, uh, what they are doing, uh, what, are, what are the perils, what are the dangers, what are the opportunities the Internet has, and what, what can they learn uh, on the Internet and, and really be together and not let the computer or their smartphone to educate themselves. I think this is such a huge issue because nowadays we talk about these personal devices, and they really are. I mean, unless a parent is vigilant or a grandparent, a child can be going all kinds of places, interacting with all kinds of people through a smartphone or through even a computer if there's not adequate security in, let's say, a school system. Yes. Uh, and I'd say that uh, this is a good segue to 
for a, a usual recommendation we give to parents and to educators. When teaching kids about how to use the internet for and to uh, harvest the benefits of the internet, just make a parallel with the real life. You educate your children not to go in dark alleys mm. at night, not to talk to strangers, not to go uh, in locked places without uh, someone that you trust, and not to to click, uh, not, not to 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 uh, go and, and touch packages that you don't know. If you do a, use this as an analogy, it's the same for for the internet. Do not talk to strangers on the internet. Do not click on links that you don't know, like the packages you shouldn't touch. Mm. Do not give away information about yourself your, or your family to people that you don't don't have a reason to trust. It's very similar to what is in real life, but we must be vigilant because on the Internet, things happen very fast, and we, we can get in trouble. The kids can get in trouble very easily. I think probably the biggest horror scenarios that I've heard about Eduardo over the years are where someone, you know, like you said, they meet someone online. And sure, we tell our kids not to talk with strangers, but, I mean, come on, if it's another kid their age at school, I think their barriers are up and down. And some of these stories we hear about predators in their 40s, 50s, 60s, posing as kids 12 and uh, the kids think they're basically in a safe school-like environment or a community center environment or other setting where they're just meeting other kids and they're really falling into the clutches, if you will, of uh, oftentimes people that have malicious designs. I mean, how do you educate kids to be that savvy, especially when they're often very young? It is important to give them some tips and hints on what to observe. So if the other side is being overly insistent on getting data about you mm. or asking questions about when your, your parents are not at home or insisting to meet you uh, alone or inviting you to places where you believe that uh, it might not be safe, it's always all useful also to share with your parents. That's why my first point, parents have to be together with the kids because mm -hmm. in the, in, with the goal of giving them privacy, uh, sometimes parents get too distant and, and, and lost in the daily routine. It is important to be really together, uh, shoulder by shoulder with the kids, hand in hand, so they can... Um, share what they are. They feel uh, they are in a trust, safe environment with uh, the parents, and they can share what they are doing, and maybe spot together uh, some odd behavior that might give away that the other side is not a kid but a criminal uh, posing as a kid. Well, what's interesting about the dialogue is I can see this working well with young children, but as children get older, they're often wanting that personal space. It almost sounds like you're weighing in, and I don't want you to uh, feel like I'm putting you into a position you're not in. So just let me tell you what I'm hearing, Eduardo. I'm almost hearing you advocating that kids should have some exposure to some of these uh, 
sites, uh, you know, internet, uh, smartphones at a younger age with parental supervision and not just wait till the child is ready to be independent on with, with these devices. Do I hear that kind of in the background or am I reading too much into it? You're right, Dr. DeRose. Uh, today, we cannot avoid risking the, having the kids get in touch with the, the darkness of of the internet by themselves. So we should educate them early on about the opportunities and the dangers, the threats uh, of the internet. Um, in the U.S. especially, we have several associations that are talk about uh, online safety for kids. So a, a simple search in Google can help you find websites and, and organizations, not-for-profit not organizations, some state governments, uh, the federal government, uh, that teach how to do that. And so they have, even in the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission uh, site, the, fe site, the federal site, they have videos uh, that are very easy to consume that the parents can watch together with the kids, and it's uh, properly created for them. Mm. And then they can be exposed early on and learn about all the opportunities, all the positive things uh, online activities can bring, but also about dangers because um, criminals are going to be everywhere in the physical world and in, in the online world as well. No, great points, great points. So we've had you really stepping out of your corporate role somewhat because although cybersecurity, when it comes to the family, when it comes to our children, our grandchildren, is close to many people's hearts. That's usually not what people think of a cybersecurity expert specializing in, at least in the corporate world. Isn't that the case? Yes, it is the case. I, my, one of my early jobs uh, at Microsoft, I worked with um, uh, teams that uh, helped schools, educators, parents, to deal with online safety. Mm. And if you go to, to any of those uh, corporations, tech corporation sites, Microsoft, Google, uh, you can find uh, specific guidance videos to help uh, parents uh, to talk about the Internet dangers and to teach the kids uh, how to protect themselves and how to, to ask for help how to identify odd behaviors that might give away criminals. Uh, I used to volunteer in schools, and I still do that today, um, talking to parents, talking to the kids, engaging with them, listening to their feedback, listening to their requests, because the, the best way is to educate them as, at a young age. And they can, uh, uh, at the end of the day, help us adults to see things that we are not seeing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking here as, as I'm listening to Eduardo, if I'm going to go and do a search, I might put something in like Internet Dangers for Children videos. Uh, would that be a good way to try to hunt down some of this material? Uh, usually uh, it's gonna, what is going to bring you a better uh, result is on, online safety mm. videos for kids. Oh, okay. And you have for teenagers and for elderly. Online safety videos. And then for whatever group I'm interested in, for 
for young children, for adolescents, teenagers, elderly. Great. Well, you know, since we mentioned the elderly, it seems like a lot of internet scammers are plaguing, really plaguing our seniors, whether they're in Indian country or elsewhere. And uh, they're really trying to take advantage of a group that's often perceived to not be as savvy when it comes to the internet. Is that really true? Are older Americans more likely to fall prey to some of these scams? As I said, Dr. DeRose, it's that the, the internet, the online world, just reflects what happens in the real world. Mm. So it's sad to see that all the scams over the phone, um, asking elderly people to send money because their granddaughters or grandsons were kidnapped or something very bad happened mm-hmm. to a family member. And then over the phone, they, they get all the information and get a transfer of money. And, and, it, and then the elderly people realize that it's too late and the money's gone. Wow. The same thing uh, translates to the online world. So the targeted emails to elderly people ask for them to click on a link that is actually a suspicious link that leads them to a, uh, either to a website that's going to download something, a malicious uh, piece of software called malware, mm-hmm. into their computer. It's going to uh, uh, copy all the uh, every letter and number that they type in, on their keyboard, and then it's going to copy their passwords and everything. Or it's going to bring them to a website that's going to ask them for information, personal information, and to help with something, uh, to help family members or friends are in, in, in danger. It is the same thing as if it happened before over the phone, and before the phone 101. So, um, but it is definitely an audience that is targeted by criminals. Mm-hmm. So basically, we're talking about vulnerable members of our population, seniors, kids, but all of us, we need to be uh, safe and secure on the Internet. But your specialty has to do with cybersecurity in the workplace, and we want to go there in our next segment. Don't go away if you're tuning in today to American Indian Living, because Eduardo Campos is not going away, and he's going to tell us about some of the things that can make a huge difference when it comes to, really, the success of your business, your tribal enterprise, your efforts, really, in connecting with the world electronically. We've got a lot more to come on today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't go away. We've got a lot more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Dr. David DeRose back with my guest today, Eduardo Campos. Eduardo is an Internet security, cybersecurity expert. He's been helping us, well, really just kind of be aware of some of the challenges that can face us in the home environment but now we want to segue to the business world. And Eduardo, you're someone who's been generating a lot of interest. In fact, I learned about you because something came across my desk uh, with this title, Can Someone Else's Failures Help Solve Your Business's Problems? And uh, it ended up speaking about some of the work you've been doing and a book that you recently released. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to and why this topic is so important. Organizations usually have a life cycle. They are created, they grow, they thrive, and down the road, they may either uh, devote to something else or die. Mm. So that's why it is important to, to deal with the failure. So use failure as an opportunity for learning how to improve. And, and to recover from it, to use a, a structured approach, because there's a myth that corporations, organizations, and small businesses are going to always learn from failure automatically, and mm-hmm. that's not true. No, I mean, this is a great point, because a lot of times we speak, whether we're in a medical, psych, medical setting or... Uh, medical environment, we're speaking about lifestyle change, behaviors. We sometimes say, you know, don't give up when you've tried to to quit that addictive use of commercial tobacco or, or some type of uh, drug addiction. Don't give up because every time you fail, you can learn new strategies. But you're exactly right. Whether we're speaking in that clinical context or whether we're speaking in a business context, a lot of people don't learn 
lessons from their failures. How do you help someone, especially when they're down and out? I mean, when you fail, that's the, the last time when you want to you know, roll around in the dirt a little bit more. How do you help someone really see it as an opportunity to learn? As you know, Dr. DeRose, we just published a book about a year ago. Um, and our book is about how to create solutions, how to design solutions for complex problems in large organizations. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was surprised uh, with my book call to my wife to learn that people are using our book that was initially intended to be used in, in, in organizations to learn lessons for, for their own lives. And one of the lessons is about how to deal with failure. Uh, I'd say that uh, the way we, we help people is to teach, te- by teaching them that uh, uh, you need to create a safe environment for people that uh, were involved in the failure to come together and discuss the lessons learned. Instead mm-hmm. of blaming each other, instead of sticking to a blaming game, to really learn about the root causes of the failure, why that happened, and, and what should be done to correct the course and avoid uh, similar failure in the future. Well, I know it seems like it's a whole lot easier just to blame someone else besides yourself, but like you said, although in a dysfunctional organization, that may be what happens. I mean, people are continually getting fired because they dropped the ball, but if you really want to be an organization that puts your energy into developing a good workforce, you've got to help people through those failures, even if it really was someone's fault. Isn't that the case? Yeah, it's true, because we shouldn't be stuck into the problem, but we should step back, look at the situation from a vantage point, and understand the root cause of what, why we, we've, got, we've got here. And then together plan how to avoid the situation to reoccur in, in the future. And why will we correct the course instead of just blaming people, blaming a situation, mm-hmm. and, and keep uh, whining and moaning about what happened. Can you give us some real-life situations, Eduardo, that would, would help us see how this plays out? Yes. Uh, I can give you an example from our book. We have 20 case studies that are real. We change the names, countries, uh, gender, but uh, it, they are all real. Uh-huh. They happen throughout the 25 years of my career and my, my wife's career. Um, and, it's, and we share successes and failures and Several of the failures are our failures mm. because we want people to avoid doing the same. When I was um, uh, working for uh, a client, I, I came to present a, a, a project to the, to the client, and the client was listening to me, and I was all excited about, about what I was doing, and I forgot, I was very young, I forgot to double-check if the client had really understood what it was saying. Hmm. And guess what? Some of the people that were in the room assumed things because they, they didn't have time to ask questions or I didn't ask them for their feedback. Hmm. And as young people usually do, energetically, I, I just run into execution. And 
a month from there, from that, that meeting, things started souring, going south. And then I realized, because of a mentor, that I was going too fast in the wrong direction. So I stepped back. We had a conversation with the clients, with the, the uh, stakeholders in, that were in the meeting. And then we realized that we had assumed a few things, and they had assumed uh, other few things, and they were not matching. Mm-hmm. So we had a, a, a frank conversation. We realigned it, and we started from uh, in, on the right direction. This is so important because it seems that so many corporations, so many entities, and I'm, I'm thinking whether it's a, a tribal entity or whether it's uh, – someplace where you know listeners whether they're native or not are working it's so easy it seems in our world that is so focused on quote communication you know we can pick up a phone we can get a text message we can send stuff through the internet seems like we have such a focus on communicating but often we do such a poor job in the workplace and as uh, one leader once told me he said communication is the lifeblood of this organization now other organizations may may say something different, but it, it was hard for me to really argue with that because if you don't know what's going on, you're not communicating adequately, it really seems like that sets you up for a lot of problems, doesn't it? You're completely right. Uh, and I, I'd say that uh, your uh, reference uh, is right to the point because communication is about uh, uh, an originator and a receiver in the medium that connects both with the message, if we're not clear about the message, if we're not on the same page, receiver and originator in the, in the sender, and we are not really um, working on to have the best medium to, to connect both, that communication is not going to work, mm-hmm. and the relationship might not be on the best uh, point because we didn't have a a well-structured communication process. Now, Eduardo, your book is entitled From Problem Solving to Solution Design. When I hear a title like that, I say, "Uh, you know, this book is written for the kind of hardcore business folks. My average listener may not be a business owner. There are some that are. There are some that are tribal council people. They're responsible for you know major tribal enterprises. Some may be running some type of uh, tribal enterprise or something in the, in the private or public sector. Yet most of my audience is not in such a position. Are there people who are not business leaders that would find this book engaging and would find it practical? Yes, in... In telling the truth, we were surprised to hear feedback from our from our uh, readers on Amazon, for example, people that I've never heard of that wrote uh, very good uh, references and, and reviews, uh-huh. saying that uh, although they are not in a business or they have just a small business or they have just a family enterprise, uh, the book helps them with the uh, easy to use to understand frameworks to illustrate uh, complex methodologies on how to put in practice ideas and that are helped them to immediately uh, use what we were writing about. I believe it's because 
uh, all the case studies, and we try to have the book as a what we call field manual, mm. field guide. So uh, people, even in, in, uh, at the individual level, ended up benefiting from that. Excellent. We are going to have to step away just briefly, but when we come back, we're going to be speaking about more practical stories from Eduardo Campos. Eduardo, for those that may not be able to stick with us, and I hope that's the vast minority, we've got to give out your website because that's a great place to go. They can pick up your book, get other information there. Give us that information, would you please? Yes. Uh, our uh, book website is eecampos.com, E-E-C-A-M-P-O-S.com. Okay, so eecampos.com, C-A-M-P-O-S, two-letter E's before it. And uh, that's a place where you can pick up Eduardo's book. We're going to give you a lot of pointers, practical illustrations on business health. We'll also talk about cybersecurity in the workplace. That's all coming up right up after this. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Dr. David DeRose here for the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. 
My guest, Eduardo Campos. Eduardo is the author of the book, From Problem Solving to Solution Design, published in 2018. He's got an audiobook edition that is slated out anytime. And Eduardo, we've been speaking a little bit just uh, before the break about your website. Some folks I know when they hear us mention a website, they're thinking, okay, I can buy a book there, but I'm, well, I may not be all that interested in buying the book. But hey, you've got other stuff on the website. Even if someone doesn't want to buy the book, I understand you've got a free assessment on the website. Did I understand that correctly? Yes, Dr. Droz, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, people can go to the, our website and go to a very simple assessment of 10 questions, uh, and they can, uh, uh, that can help them to determine where they are as solution designers. And then they get back an email with uh, uh, recommendations, what they should do uh, to improve their solution design skills, and it's for free. Oh, okay. So basically, I'm going to take, if I go on there, There'll be a 10-question survey, if I got this right. And after I take it, you're going to say, you know, you're great at coming up with solutions or you're not too good or here's some deficiencies. Have I got the picture of the, of the survey correctly? Yes, that's right. Okay. And let's say I go through that and, um, and it says, uh, well, give me an example of something that I might not want to hear. I want to hear how, you know, l- l- I'll be honest with you. Like everybody, when I take one of these quizzes, I want to hear how great I am. You know, you're an amazing problem solver. How did you even wander to our website? <laughs> um, but let's say I find out something I don't like to hear. What might I learn? Well, you're going to hear you are great because uh, at something because we are all great at something. But you are also going to hear Let's say it is. Uh, we have a, a check, uh, five checkpoints that uh, we we assess your solution design skills. Let's say that one of them is how to sustain what you have developed, because we need to plan for changes uh, along the way when we've created something like a cybersecurity program for uh, our employees to be aware of threats that come through email. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, uh, one checkpoint that is sustained. Maybe you are not, when you are answering, you are not that good at that because you forgot that you, when you design something, you need to plan for change. So the, the quiz is going to return you with the recommendations. What are, that are, what are the two, three actions that you should take into consideration next time you design a solution? Okay. Let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity because... That's one of your areas of expertise. One of the challenges that I think a lot of people have, you know, we speak about things changing over time, is a corporation might decide to go with certain software for antivirus, for malware protection. And sometimes it seems, you know, if you read reviews, that, you know, it changes, or you'll use one, you'll have a bad experience. Do you make specific recommendations about products in your book or, there's, or even on air? We're talking about it. Do you say, hey, go this direction, avoid this, or is that really not where you like to spend your emphasis? Our take, Dr. Rose, is that uh, what's happening today is with uh, so many new technologies, driverless cars, robotics, Internet of Things, and 5G networks, 
is that uh, people are feeling overwhelmed with all the options they are facing. And it's difficult to, to, to keep up. And, and we don't want cybersecurity professionals to, to add to the pressure and just recommend products. Mm -hmm. We believe that a cybersecurity in cybersecurity is everyone's job. It's not the IT people or the cybersecurity people's job. Uh, we, what we try to do is to not to recommend products, but to recommend processes, to recommend uh, actions, and uh, help people to, to be aware of the issues and the opportunities, because we shouldn't only talk about the Internet and problems. The Internet can help small businesses, can help corporations, can help, help individuals to get information, to, to uh, get business, business opportunities, to engage with other human beings. So there's a positive side to it as well. So tell us some stories that illustrate some of these concepts. Well, uh, let's say one concept that we have is if you see something, say something. Hmm. Cybersecurity awareness program. What was that? We had red balloons with helium gas that were attached to the uh, desks that overnight had confidential documents on, on their desk because people were not aware that uh, it seems to some of us might seem even stupid, but uh, for people didn't realize that, that by leaving confidential documents on, on their desk, on the top of their desk, or leaving computers open without a passport, that they were putting, putting in, um, in risk uh, the organization. So with those red balloons flying the next morning on top of their desk, mm. it was kind of funny because it, it was a, a very young organization, but it was very serious at the same time. So they, they realized, wow, I, with my small action, I'm putting, putting my organization uh, at the risk of uh, being... Uh, getting some confidential documents leaked to the competition. So basically the whole idea of the red balloon was to say you kind of violated careful cybersecurity. So the red balloon was kind of calling out folks that were not being careful. Am I hearing that right? You are, you are right. And we are calling out uh, what was happening, um, the, the, the violation of a policy that said, do not leave confidential, confidential documents easily accessible after the working hours. Mm. But at the same time, we were making fun because it was a very young organization, and we left a one-pager on top of, uh, of their desk saying, next time, what you can do is this. You can lock on, on, uh, in your drawer. If you do not have a locker in your drawer, this is where you should go to request for a locker and so on. So we mm. were pointing out the violation, but at the same time giving a, a, a guidance to help them to comply with the policy. Very good. So how about this, this challenge? I mean, we're talking about safe practices. You're mentioning be very vigilant at who might be able to look at a computer making sure we, we log out of sites when we're not there. I think these are some common things that we've, we've heard over the years. But there still is a role for software when it comes to security. How does someone negotiate that? How do you really 
you know, come to those kind of nitty gritty decisions? Is it always is someone else, always the cybersecurity expert and their preference that's going to tell you, you know, what you're using for antivirus or for malware? Uh, or should we all be more educated about what to look for, how to decide what might be a, a worthwhile product? Well, in our book, we, as I said, we have five checkpoints. I, I talked about sustain, that is planning for changes. Another one is design, design solution options that are aligned to the organization's goal or to people's goals. Mm. So it's really trying to design solutions that are going to help them achieve their goals. It's not just because I am this cybersecurity guy, the expert, and I, whatever I do, they have to comply with. It's, it's, it's because the more you have something implemented that consider other people's views point, viewpoint, then they're going to feel they own it. They own the solution. It's their solution. It's not my solution as the expert. So design solution options that are aligned to the organization's goals that will help people achieve their goals. That's the way to go. Mm -hmm. So in this question of, of choosing software, if, if you're a, a young company, do you actually talk with the employees? I mean, do you pull them into the discussion or do you, I mean, I've never seen that happen. I mean, typically in organizations where I've worked, I mean, all that kind of software infrastructure was just in place, whether it was in a clinic or a, a, a nonprofit. No one asked me, uh, you know, what antivirus software do you like? I mean, those decisions are just made. Are we talking about something different here? Yes. Uh, and you start with uh, another checkpoint, <laughs> that is identify the problem's root cause before recommending a solution. Hmm. So I can give you an example. I worked with a hospital. They were my clients. Uh, and there was a, a virus uh, infection in all computers. Mm -hmm. So the first reaction was, let's buy a new antivirus. Let's implement something here that's going to freeze all computers. It's going to lock everybody out. Nobody's going to be going to be able to do anything without following very strict steps. And the, the doctors that were there treating patients were impacted mm -hmm. from day one. So when I got there, and this was prior to me being hired, the first thing that I did was to sit down with the doctors ask questions, understand what was happening, and actually what was happening, we discovered at the end of the day, that one of the doctors brought a computer from the hospital home mm. to do some personal work, online banking, paying bills online, and his son, who was uh, 15 years old, was playing in online, online games without the father knowing. Mm. And to play online games in some of portals, you have to turn the antivirus off. Oh. It's not because the antivirus was not good, but because it was off. And then he would turn it on back, but the computer was infected already. And the, uh -huh. the doctor unknowingly would bring the computer back to the hospital and would infect the network. Wow. So the moment we identified the root cause, we worked with the doctors, teaching them how to lock the screens with the password, how not to use the hospital's computers 
to do personal work and so on. Mm. No, I mean, that's such a great point because a lot of times, like you said, we're we're thinking we can trust in these these software programs that people are have got our backs. But like you said, if we're not each intelligent users of the software, of the, the hardware, our computers, whatever it might be, that we're often putting ourselves and our companies at risk, aren't we? Yes, it's true. People are usually the weakest link, not because they are bad, but because they are unaware mm-hmm. of something they should do or because the policy that is in place is so annoying uh, that it is interfering with their achievement of the, their goals. So mm-hmm. the best thing you have to do is to ask people ab- about their input, check their feedback. Sometimes yeah. you have to even step in and convince them that uh, this is the interim solution that we can mm-hmm. have. They, uh, we need their, their collaboration, but that we will work to make their lives easier. Very, very good. We have to step away, Eduardo. We're going to come right back with Eduardo Campos, his final segment coming up, more practical things that can help you in the real world as it relates to your business and your family. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Final segment coming up. Stay tuned for more. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. 
Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose speaking with Eduardo Campos. Eduardo is the author of the book From Problem Solving to Solution Design. And Eduardo, when we were off air, you were saying that not only can people purchase the book on your website, but they can actually download a free chapter. Tell us again what that website is. The website is eecampos.com, W-E-C-A-M-P-O-S.com. They can download for free a chapter of our book. Okay, so eecampos, C-A-M-P-O-S, dot com, and you can actually purchase the book there, or you can download a free chapter. Eduardo also mentioned, if you're just joining us, a free assessment that he's got available there if you want to look at some of your problem-solving skills, especially as they relate to the world of business. Eduardo, we've got so much still to talk about, and there's so little time. Let's jump to something that we've already talked a little bit about, but you just got me still thinking about this kid who was... um, accessing his father's computer, contaminated the computer, turned off the antivirus, got it infected, and then it messed up a whole hospital system. The interesting thing I found about that story, at least one interesting aspect, it seemed that initially everyone was kind of in that emergency mode. They were ready to scrap the you know, antivirus, get a different one, go through all these hoops, when really they didn't realize the source of the problem. Is this a common scenario, even though the details may be different in, in other situations? It is very common, Dr. DeRose. People tend to just jump into action uh-huh. when facing a, a complex problem. They see something happening, and it's like a fire drill in, in, in a building. Mm. People start running around and, and leaving the building and, and, and calling the fire brigade. Mm. And when they should actually step back, look at the big picture, identify the root cause, and then start working on the solution. Uh, I, I spent 14 years in the Brazilian Army. In the Army, you do not have time to do that. But mm. what we do, you train and train and train exhaustively. So when you are in action, you have uh, a standard operational procedure. You know how to react, and you learn how to quickly go for the root cause of the problem Mm -hmm. when something is happening and act on the root cause instead of acting on the symptom of the problem. Well, I mean, this is so profound in the medical world as well. I mean, so many times we've been... uh criticizing ourselves as a profession because it's so easy when a patient comes in with symptoms to treat the symptoms, but I think all of us realize in in medical circles that treating the symptoms really isn't where it's at. You really want to treat the underlying cause. So it's really the same when it comes to problems in the business, isn't it? It is true. People mistakenly take the symptoms for the cause. Mm. And they need to follow the example of the wise gardener. There was a tree that was dying. The branches 
uh, are drooping, the leaves are wilting. Comes an inexperienced gardener, and he tries to prop up each branch. He tries to spray water on, on each one of the leaves. Nothing happens. He leaves, and comes the wise gardener, brings a bucket of water, and drops the water at the roots of the tree. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, the tree starts to recover, the, the, the branches are up, and even some flowers uh, pop up. He, the wise gardener worked at the root cause, not at the symptoms. Mm-hmm. No, that's a, that's a great illustration. How about in the business world? You've told us a number of engaging stories that I think we'll take with us. Are there other stories that come to mind in your book that would help illustrate this concept? Yes. We had a case where an accountant was helping uh, the procurement department to prepare for uh, a regular audit. And large organizations have time-to-time auditors that come to, to check if all uh, the accounting records are right. Mm-hmm. right. And um, what happened is that the accountant um, knew about the audit coming, so he, worked, he decided to take a sample of all the contracts he had in his department and offer the contract sample to the auditors. And the auditors came. And they used that sample and they identified problems. And the, the accountant had to work on the on the solution. And the next year, he took another sample, and uh, and the same problem came up. And the auditors came and they gave me the same recommendations. And that went on for three years in a row. Huh. Uh, a new accountant came on board, and he knew about the audit team coming. So what he did instead of taking a sample, he stepped back and assessed all the three-year reports that were being generated and said, you know, the underlying cause here is that we do not have a policy that requires contracts to follow a template, basic, but it's happening. So let's work on a template that all major uh, vendors and providers will have to fill in. And this way, we have a, a standard template and standard information. So when the audit team comes, we will have solved the problem because we worked on the root cause. And bingo. Mm-hmm. Next time the audit team came, they found issues, but they were in much smaller numbers than before. Great example. You know, I've got to ask you something else because this is something I'm sure that's in the back of some of the minds of my listeners Whatever the the specialty is, I mean, whether it's medicine, whether it's law, whether it's cybersecurity, it seems like there's always jargon that goes along with it, always these technical terms. And I don't know, I find as a physician, patients often just want us to break things down into simple language. Do you hear that same issue come out in cybersecurity circles? You you touch a very, very recent uh, point that uh, is on, going on on the uh, media talking about cybersecurity professionals. There was a very interesting um, research that came out of uh, West Point, two professors in West Point, Dawson and Thompson. Their research is called the, the Future Cybersecurity Workforce, Going Beyond Technical Skills. It's very interesting. Through research, they just uh, corroborated common knowledge that a uh, 
cybersecurity professionals need to speak in plain English, uh-huh. in lay terms. Uh-huh. They are lacking communication skills, even social skills, mm. to convey the technical information they, they, they need the end users to have to apply uh, the tools and to comply with the policies. It's really not surprising, but now we have research showing that uh, cybersecurity professionals must go beyond just acquiring technical skills, but also social and communication skills. I mean, this is coming at some of these stereotypes that we've had over the years. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, well, that's, you know, one of those Internet nerds, and, uh, you know, they don't usually get along with the rest of the folks here in the workplace. But I'm glad, Eduardo, you're kind of breaking that mold because you've been very easy to talk with. You've been explaining things for us. So what I hear you saying by example is for those of our listeners, they may like the tech stuff more. They may be uh, more comfortable being away from the crowd and just kind of working in their own cubicle or their own environment. But it's really important to develop those social skills because you're going to have a lot more success as a IT or cybersecurity professional if you've got a team that kind of sees you, interacts with you, feel comfortable talking with you, right? Yeah, you're right. And also, cybersecurity is something that evolves every day. The threat scenario is increasingly complex. And unless you uh, have a flag, uh, a flare for continual learning, lifelong learning, mm. this is not a profession for you because you will need to learn every day and, and learn social skills and learn communication skills as well. Well, you've given us a lot to think about, Eduardo, and uh, our time has really just about slipped away from us. But before we go, we want to give you one other opportunity to encourage our listeners to take advantage of some of your free materials, as well as maybe pick up a copy of your book, From Problem Solving to Solution Design. One more time, Eduardo, what is your website? Our website is eecampos.com, W-E-C-A-M-P-O-S. They can get uh, free assessment as well as downloading uh, a free chapter of our book. Eduardo, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on today's edition of American Indian Living. Thank you for having me. We've got to slip away on that note. I'm Dr. David DeRose. You've been listening to American Indian Living. Hopefully today's show has helped you have a healthier business, a healthier community, a healthier family for all of us. At American Indian Living, I am Dr. David DeRose wishing you, as always, the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.